folks, and welcome welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kajimam, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. You log in, you click a button that says study now, and the platform then shows you exactly what you need to learn next based on your previous progress. Now, again, this is simple, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And this is not just um, them patting themselves on the back. Now that Native Shark's been in business for over a year, the results are in. So this is exactly what people are saying. Uh, just looking at the couple of posts in their community forums. And the student community, by the way, is one of the best things about the platform. So one person's writing, most productive year I've had learning Japanese. And then another one says, I've started learning over a year ago with all of these other platforms. And what I learned there is only a fraction of what I've learned on Native Shark in just three months. And then yet another one goes, in my mind, my study timeline only started with Native Shark because that's when I really started learning consistently and on and on. So yet the proofs in the pudding, it's definitely the best online course out there. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up for their free trial uh, using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, and we'll link to it in this episode's show notes. So that's native without an E. So N-A-T-I-V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash N-T-I. You use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So two weeks free instead of just the one. No need to put in your credit card, anything of that sort. You can just sign up, give it a shot, and chances are at the end of these two weeks, you'll already be far ahead of wherever you are with your Japanese at the moment, whether you're just starting out or you're already in knee deep. Give it a shot. NativeShark.com forward slash NTI. Okay, so as usual, quick pitch on our December business networking and board games, card games, strategy games event here in Fukuoka at the lovely Montan Hakata Hotel. We're going to close registration for the full room and board tickets, as mentioned, on November 20th. So that's four days away as of the date of this recording. So if you want to make sure to be fed like a queen or king by Monica, our Chilean event chef, now's definitely the time to book or upgrade those tickets to the full room and board option. Room and attendance only tickets without meals will be available for another 10 days after that. So until 1st December. And from that point on, it's going to be daily or weekend attendance tickets only. So you'll still be able to buy a ticket and attend the event, which is running uh, Friday and Saturday from 7 a.m. to midnight and Sunday from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. But you will not be able to enjoy those decadent meals and or stay at the Montan, or at least not at the all-inclusive discounted price that you'll get if you uh, purchase your stay via an event ticket. So hurry on down to our website or just use this QR code here from our recently printed gorgeous event flyer uh, ticket that's now appearing on your screen if you're watching this on YouTube or via our show notes if you're tuning in via the podcast. Really looking forward to seeing you all with us in a few weeks time here in Fukuoka. Oh, and flight tickets too. Those are running out by the day. I think if you're coming on the 10th on the day of the event itself, there are now only three or four flight times available. So late morning, midday tickets seem to have already sold out. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Okay, so for today's episode, this is a business call that I've had with a new client or potential client, I should say, from the US. 
He's lived in Japan in the past, interested in both his own property to live in uh, here in the future, but also very interested in investment properties. And he's had quite a few questions about general market fundamentals, why invest in Japan, why not invest in Japan, uh, what to invest in, the possibility of purchasing and managing your investments remotely, natural disasters, insurance coverage, prices, yields, and a whole lot more. So really good sort of basic but very comprehensive discussion there. Good summary conversation for anyone who's interested in this market who is not really super familiar with the country or not quite deep enough yet to really get into the nitty-gritty details uh, of investing here in Japan, the sort of stuff that we uh, discuss on the podcast in more detail. Probably, I guess, the perfect introduction to real estate property investment in the land of the rising sun. Um, as well as to what we can help with as a buyer's advocacy and portfolio management company. So enjoy the call. If you're watching this on YouTube, you'll notice that I'm a bit rosy-cheeked there, which is uh, because the call took place at 9.30 at night, and just after I've prepared a huge batch of hot sauce and was elbows deep in chili peppers, and maybe also because I've had a drink or two, but as I told the uh, caller, this is what you get when you book in a late-night call can't be helped. So again, enjoy the conversation and I'll see you again on the other side. Okay. So yeah, I also wanted to apologize for my red face. It's a combination of the uh, hot sauce we made and the two drinks I had for dinner. So apologies. <laughs> that's what it is. What it is. Um, yeah. With the 9.30 PM, that's what you get. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No problems. All right. Go for it. So you mentioned investment, I think. I'm just looking at your messages now, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I had a bunch of questions about Japanese real estate. Um, Go for your life. And you seem very knowledgeable based upon your posts on LinkedIn. So um, I guess I'll start from, uh, I guess, one of the main questions I had. Um, why invest in Japanese real estate? Um, why? Because, <laughs> yeah, because from my understanding of it, I, I have a background in, in Japan culture and in history and in the language. Yeah. But I don't know much about real estate, but um, I've been looking to relocate for quite a while now. Um, and I've been looking at Akia and because uh, I really like Kominka houses and Machia houses. Um, okay. But from what my understanding is, is Houses are generally worthless, right? I mean, from what from what I get, I mean, you don't you don't really buy a property; you buy the land uh, on you know that the building is located on, right? The building itself you knock over after so many years. That's kind yeah. of the idea. So, um, I, I guess I mean it might be easier to start with why not to invest in Japan, and I right. should probably um, caveat that with saying that uh, Komika and Machi are definitely not an investment. So. People come here, first off, with a mind frame that um, may be counterintuitive to what we're used to in, in Western countries. This is not a capital growth market. So right, right. people don't invest in Japan for the uh, potential uh, equity that they might accrue in the property and then draw another uh, loan to capitalize on this and sell at a profit. So that that's not the investment environment here. Um, what people do come here for is probably first and foremost, the cash flow, which is quite high. The rental income is um, on a yield basis, percentage basis is quite high compared to um, most countries in the developed world. Right. So let's say just so we're on the same page, net pre-tax. So including all of your purchase and running costs, um, the known ones at least, but 
excluding your annual taxes, which are unknown depending on your individual scenario. And we also don't know the exact property tax when we evaluate a deal. So discounting annual taxes and discounting um, any unknowns like vacancies or maintenance and so forth. So net pre-tax in um, reasonably, like a city that we would recommend our customers to buy in, which means that the population is at least stable or growing, not mm -hmm. declining or not significantly declining, and that has at least one or two industries to speak of. So a city with a prospect of some sort. In Japan, you can get up to maybe 8% net pre-tax. Mm -hmm which is quite high for a, um, a reasonable metropolitan center in, in most countries in the West. The other two factors are probably A, that it's quite affordable. So for the same budget that you'd perhaps purchase a single asset in um, say a major city in the US or in Australia, or definitely if you compare it to Hong Kong and Singapore, um, the UK and so forth, they're a lot more affordable. And that's due to the two and a half decades of deflation that we've had here since the late 90s and right about until late 2012. So at the bottom end of that, properties were about half the price that they were pre-bubble or pre-1990. Mm. Um, but rental income, while it has decreased, hasn't decreased nearly as much. So that resulted in, in quite wide yield, right? And it also resulted in um, affordability in the sense that if I purchase a single asset, I'll take Australia, for example, because that's where I was um, operating before I came to Japan. So in Australia, okay. if I buy a single asset in a good location, I'll probably be spending at a minimum 250,000 US or say 300,000 US. Okay. So here that would buy me anywhere from five to 10 high yielding assets, right? Oh, great, we, okay. Yeah, so and when we say high yielding assets in Japan, that usually means um, condo units, one to maybe two bedrooms or one bedroom plus a wide living dining kitchen that sort of thing in a building that was built somewhere between 1990 something to 2005, say. Mm -hmm. So again, for the same price of a single asset in say a reasonable city in Australia or the UK or in the U the USA is a bit wider than that. So it's hard to, to pinpoint an exact location. But yeah. But, but now, but now with the market, the way it is, it's, it's gone up significantly. So that's, it's about right. Um, even has it, in, has even it recently? Lower, okay. Yeah. 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 Even, in, even in lower um, income areas, it's gone, it's skyrocketed recently. Um, okay. So uh, like, you know, an asset that you would have bought before for like a hundred, you know, $20,000 us um, now is going for like, close to 300,000 US. I've been hearing that, yeah. So. It's, it's ridiculous. So um, it's, it's good for investors to a degree, but it's also um, not not good for someone who's searching for a pro you know, some something who's just kind of looking for somewhere to live, so. Not, not um, a bargain kind of thing, yeah. No, 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 not at all. Yeah. Um, but no, that's interesting, because I always, because I lived in Tokyo for a while in 2014, I always thought it was like one of the most expensive places, but, but like I keep being told by people who've lived there for a long period of time, it just kind of, it, it's as expensive as you let it to be. Yeah. Um, and uh, I never, I never considered, um, you know, assets, physical assets to be that cheap. Um, yeah, I always well, thought not, it'd be not in Tokyo. in your cities, right? Well, unless Tokyo, right? We're talking about Osaka, Kyoto, maybe. 
Uh, um, not central Osaka. Suburban Osaka can be quite affordable. Um, but usually we're looking at either the second tier cities. So Kyoto in some cases, definitely um, Fukuoka, Nagoya, Sapporo. Mm. And then we look at what we call third tier cities, but they're quite attractive locations. So prefectural capitals like um, Kumamoto, Saitama, for example. Yeah. And some of them are also satellite cities to bigger metropolitan centers. So um, if we look at um, Chiba City near Tokyo, Yokohama, yeah, Yokohama is not a satellite city, Japan's second biggest city, right. but I'm just looking at it in respect of Tokyo. So it's a satellite city to Tokyo, Kawasaki, same sort of story. And um, so all of those locations, you can buy in starting at around 5 million yen. So about 50,000 or slightly under 50,000 US. Again, if you're talking about the studios and one bedrooms in slightly older buildings. Yes. And places like Kumamoto can go down to maybe even uh, two and a half million, three million. Sapporo, sometimes we see three, three and a half million. So for that sort of budget that you would pay for a single asset, you get the diversity of spreading it over eight or five or 10 assets here in Japan. And aside from the obvious diversity factors, like um, you can spread it socioeconomically or geographically, you're not as dependent on a single location and a single tenant profile, but you also enjoy the benefit of, say, uh, if you've got a single asset, a tenant moves out, that's your income stream gone down to zero, right? Whereas right, right. here one, two, three, four tenants move out, still half of your portfolio is performing. So the affordability, which leads to diversity. And the third factor is probably the fact that, um, like if I look at the US, for example, if I purchase something that's um, considered a cash cow, like at the bottom end of the affordability scale and the highest possible rental yield, I'm usually in Australia is kind of similar in a sense. I'm usually purchasing, if not, quite in a ghetto in a problematic area <laughs> like right right be polite so we don't have that here in japan a low income area um doesn't mean you know we're not going to have forced evictions if a tenant is which is rare in japan but say a tenant is late or or you know just skips a few rents the worst you might have to do is send them a letter and off they go kind of thing there's no forced evictions there's no family and friends squatting in the property drug labs you know right the sa safety safety has always been a concern um always and that's one of the reasons why japan is so attractive um just mm. in general that being said what about natural disaster areas um because that's a big deal there um what does that do to property values and um, nothing to property values insurance covers you for that okay yeah, I mean, an area that I'm trying to think of which area is particularly prone, like, for example, Kumamoto, we had a really big earthquake in 2016 or, or mm. early 17, from memory, mm. hasn't affected property prices to any um, significant degree. Um, okay. If anything, Tokyo is probably the most earthquake prone of the major cities or even the, the the smaller cities in Japan. And obviously, if you look at Tokyo prices, that hasn't really affected them, right? So right. Japan is quite well-versed in natural disaster. It's like a kind of sad but true fact. Um, and they repair and they move on. Your insurance policies here cover you in case of a total loss up to 50 or 60% of the um, total evaluated assets um, as, as per the government evaluation, which can be a little bit different to market price. 
Okay. Um, and if you say, if you had a condo in a unit block, then let's say the entire block went down in an earthquake, then the reserve yeah. funds pool would then, I mean, they, they'd withdraw what they need to, to demolish and then remove the leftover, but then the rest of it would be distributed between the unit owners. Okay. So okay. between the, your insurance policy and the reserve fund um, distribution and any sort of government compensation that you might be getting, people usually get at least to their asset value plus whatever period of rental income that you've had until that happens. So obviously if that happens six months after you've purchased, that might be not pleasant, but. Right. <laughs> but you can survive it. So yeah. very I mean, good. For, for us personally, we might've just been lucky, but for us personally, the most we've suffered from an, or that a client has suffered from an earthquake was um, 500 bucks out of pocket for like a bent really? window frame or something of that sort. But again, having said that, we might have just been lucky. I mean, we could hit with, could be hit with a really big one tomorrow. So, well, where, where, where are most of the properties uh, that your company owns? Where are they located at? Um, our company doesn't actually own any property. We represent customers as they buy and sell and manage their properties. We personally own... Um, Used to own about a dozen. Now we've purchased our own home and office. So I think we're down to maybe six. My wife is here. She might correct me on that. But I think we're down to about six of them. Okay. And they, um, they're they spread all over the country. So we have a couple in Fukuoka, one in Kumamoto, one in Kobe, one in um, Osaka or or Sapporo. Sapporo. Yes, thank you. Ah, okay. <laughs> Um, kind of all over the place. And that pretty much reflects what most of our customers are doing as well. So sure. if we have a customer who's just getting their feet wet or they only have the budget for one or two properties they might own in one particular city, in which case we'd probably direct them towards something a bit more safe and stable with slightly lower yield. And the ones that have bigger portfolios are kind of like us. They're spread all over the country. Okay. Very good. I was just, I was curious if you're all like condensed or if you're more spread out, but that's a good thing. It's a good thing to get interested in different areas. Uh, we prefer sure. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. My question then, uh, then as a follow-up, I'm a foreigner. I'd, I'm not, I don't know if you are, but I don't have a Japanese wife. Um, uh, I would like to relocate, but I would also, I am also interested in uh, assets in Japan. Can I still purchase and do this thing remotely from a different country or do I have to be physically present in Japan? Yeah, so first off on a policy, like on a, on a uh, let's take it from the top down, the government policies do not prohibit, uh, like it's the only country in, in the Asia Pacific region that doesn't impose any limitations on foreign ownership of land and foreign purchase of property. So there's no problem on a policy level. Um, Tax-wise, you're also exactly the same as a Japanese resident. You're actually exempt from some taxes because you don't pay municipal and residency taxes if you're not a resident. Uh, but right. that, that's a minute amount. It doesn't really matter. The problem is, on a practical level, is that the entities on the ground, the, the, the people and the companies that you actually need to work with, they're a bit foreigner shy. Okay. A bit, okay. A bit is kind of being polite. So they're... Like the banks, for example, will not let you open a bank account. Right. Um, real estate agents, property managers, building management companies, insurance companies, none of these will be able to work with anyone overseas. Okay. The tax department in some particular locations can maybe post your tax statement overseas, but they, you won't be able to pay it. Like payments in Japan is 
you you've been here or lived here? If you I lived there, yeah, I, I lived in Tokyo. It was a requirement for one of my degrees. Um, okay. So excellent experience. But yeah, I, I remember having to pay rent and then being like, okay, well, there's you know this amount, and but that was the extent. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Uh, my utility costs were paid. My you know my university that I you know were. Okay, so, so so you might recall the like very typical Japanese practice of having to like when you get a bill, you actually have to take it in hand and go to a convenience store yes, or the post. Yes. So that's still the case here, right? Okay. So regardless, so they don't do remote payments for things. You no. So stuff. internet payments are quite rare. Building management companies might be able to, to um, auto deduct monthly from your bank account, but it has to be a Japanese bank account. Okay. So between the, the, the macro government policy of allowing foreigners to do whatever they want and the physical practice on the ground, there's a huge gap. Yes. Which is why companies like ours exist, basically. Okay. Okay. So then you advocate for foreigners who are interested in investing in properties. Yes. There. So what, what we do is um, we, we're not brokers or realtors. We don't have any pool of properties that we're interested in selling or any particular uh, um, agency um, interest in mind. We don't have a quota to meet or anything like that. Sure. We get hired by foreigners. Um, Vast majority of them like you, so about 80% of our clientele live out of Japan, don't have an address, don't have a bank account, and so forth. And about 20% of them live in Japan, but just don't have the bandwidth or the will or the language skills to deal with it themselves. And then what we do for them, for the purchase, we help them research properties, conduct due diligence on properties. We'd obviously make our recommendations based on your criteria. So first we're gonna have a long conversation to understand what exactly you're looking for. We're gonna make suggestions based on what um, we think would be suitable for your profile. Um, fine, I'm, bottom line is always your decision. And then we'll research, conduct due diligence on and make recommendations on a particular selection of properties that we found that suit your criteria. And then we'd facilitate the sale on your behalf. So we would be, First off, contacting the agents and the sellers, um, explaining to them, and this is like a pitch that we've perfected over the decade or so. That we, but first of all, we need to explain to them that they'll never have to speak directly with a scary foreigner. Everything was going to be done in <laughs> Japanese. We're a Japanese company. You're going to deal with the Japanese. Way. Here's our legal, the, the POA, the authority to, yeah. to operate on that foreigner's behalf. That gets us in the door. And then we handle the entire purchase process on your behalf as if you were here. So you give oh, us authority okay. to sign documents and receive payments and, and make payments on your behalf. We conduct the transaction, the, the settlement, um, and then we would appoint a property manager, depending on which city you've purchased in, that'd be a property manager that we're probably already working with who sort of knows how we work and handles the, the bulk of properties that our clients have in that particular city. Okay. Collect your rental income, issue an annual statement uh, with income and expenses itemized. And then whenever exchange rates you know, have tipped in your favor or you need money back home, you instruct us and we send the funds back to you. And if you need your funds in the middle of the year, let's say the US dollar suddenly peaks and you want to get your Japanese yen, uh, not peaks, sorry, drops, and you want to get yeah. your Japanese yen back home, then we provide, even if it's midway through the year and we're not quite ready with the annual statement, we'll provide an approximation and remit based on that. Oh, wow. And okay. then if, we, if we've shot overboard, we can recoup it from your uh, incoming rental income down the track. So it's not an issue for us. Great. Well, wow. That's 
that's a really good way to get in. That's that's awesome. Um, okay. Uh, that really answers most of my questions. <laughs> that's it? Really? <laughs> I, I scheduled wow, this for like was, an hour. Okay. <laughs> that was really no. That was really good. No. Uh, that was just a lot of information. Um, yeah, no, that you hit on multiple different areas of the exact <laughs> that I was going to follow up with. So you're, okay. you're good. Um, I, I guess other questions I have are more personal questions. Then. Um, Go for it. I can stop the recording if you want. Yeah, if you don't mind. No, no I don't mind. Just give me a sec. <laughs> All right. Trust you've enjoyed this one. Really fun, comprehensive conversation. Again, which hopefully answers quite a few of the uh, more common questions that first time buyers into Japan have. And if you've got any, don't be shy to reach out. We can answer them for you live here on the show or just via a private call or an email. Always happy to talk shop. And one more time, here's our awesome new event flyer for our December event, 10 to 12 December, Friday through to Sunday, business networking, awesome seminars and presentations, uh, Jason Ball on creating and maintaining business relationships in Japan, Mario Long on designing and marketing board games, and of course, yours truly on real estate investment here in Japan brainstorming sessions, socializing, and of course, awesome games. So either entry-level stuff uses icebreakers and to make it easier just to strike up a conversation with a stranger, if you're the introverted type, or chunkier high-strategy skills development games, the works. Can't wait to see you there at the Montan Hakata Hotel in about three weeks' time. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku! <laughs>